Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast with me, Angie Mazzetti. When you're solo, having extremes of emotion, you see that as a waste of energy because it does take a lot of energy to be extremely happy, extremely sad, extremely angry, extremely scared. And you, you want to try and keep yourself with this kind of median emotion, this kind of like morale stab is how the French guy sailed with described it. Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast with me, Angie Mazzetti. Well, joining me today is Joan Malloy, who is an engineer, a sailor and a proud Mayo woman. And she is a leading woman you're going to be hearing a lot more about in the future because she has ambitious plans. One of the reasons I like solo sailing so much is because and having my own campaign is because I'm very much the master of my own destiny in terms of it's just down to me whether I get a sponsor. And I, if I work hard enough... I will make it happen. I don't know if the variation between how a man thinks and how a woman thinks is more than how, for example, one man would think versus another man. You know, we're all just different human beings and we all think differently. As sailors, you know, often you come in off the water, we've all had the same problem and there'll be 12 people in a room and you'll have 12 different solutions and you won't have eight women and four men and you've eight of the women have done the one thing and the four men have done another thing. You're very welcome, Joan. How are you today? Hi Angie, I'm great. Thanks very much for having me. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about yourself and where you grew up and what your life has been like so far. Well, like you said, I am a proud Mayo woman. I grew up in Westport and County Mayo and Clue Bay. And I suppose I went to school there and I studied engineering in NUI Galway. And then I went on and worked as an engineer for a few years. But I suppose over the last few years, the main occupation of my life has been sailing. So I left my engineering job a few years ago to become a full-time professional sailor. So I'm going to spool back a little bit there to your engineering. Why did you decide to go into engineering? It was a, I was pretty sure of my choice when I got there. I actually, I finished school. I thought I wanted to do science. I took a couple of years out and thought about it. And there was a couple of reasons. I liked scientific subjects. I liked maths. I liked physics. And I knew I wanted to go into that sector for sure. And I wanted something that had a career at the other end that I could step straight out of the degree and into a job. So that was that was kind of gave <laughs> that uh, all that um, added up and I ended up at engineering. And you did particularly well in, in Galway too, didn't you? Did you come out high in your <laughs> class? Tell me a little bit about I did about pretty yourself. well. I did pretty well in my class. Yeah. And I think I think the having taken two years off before university really helped that. Actually, really? Because Why when was that? I... You know, I went away and I worked and, you know, if you don't have a degree, you're working a minimum wage job. And after a while, you're like, oh, actually, this is not this is not cool. I need to I need to find a way off this step of the ladder. So I, when I went back, I was very motivated to do well. And I, I really genuinely loved my course. I just loved the subjects and it was very busy, very engaging. And I think that was great. You know, the engineering is it was nine to five um, every day and then nine to nine a couple of days as well. So we had a lot of hours. But I think that for me, that that suited me. I was completely engaged in the coursework and um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So your technical base and your technical skills are really useful to you now in your upcoming project, which is very ambitious. Tell me all about your sailing ambitions. So my big sailing ambition at the moment is to compete in a round the world race in 2020 called the Vendée Globe Race. And that's a nonstop solo round the world race. In, um, in a 60 foot sailing boat so that would be just me leaving France and 
5th of November 2020 sailing around the world in coming, all sorts of back. weathers <laughs> exactly yeah you go down right into the south into the southern ocean um, what sort of route do you take so you you leave you leave France you go down the Atlantic turn left at the bottom <laughs> go across the, um, across the Indian Ocean past Cape Horn and then back up the Atlantic so Cape of Good Hope Cape Horn and back up the Atlantic now, even yeah. from the old movies, which is probably all I know about sailing, um, those capes are particularly dangerous. But there must be other dangers. Have you faced anything like that before? I haven't. I haven't rounded any of those great southern capes yet. I've done quite a lot of solo sailing to prepare myself. So I've I've done a lot of, of offshore miles, probably coming up for 30,000 offshore miles now in my life. So I've I've have experienced certainly some storms and um, been trying my best to kind of imagine what what dangers might come up against on that trip and how I'm going to prepare myself mentally and physically for for being ready. Yeah. It must be quite lonely though. Do you get lonely or are you happy in your own company? <laughs> I'm quite happy in my own company. Yeah, I'm quite happy in my own company. That's not a problem. It can be a bit lonely. I think usually when I'm offshore solo, I'm racing. And for me, that's completely engaging. You're totally focused on the race and your performance. So that um, for me, there's a big difference in being offshore racing and offshore solo. Just, you know, if I have to bring a boat from A to B or something, then I kind of your mind can wander a lot more in your. Um, but it's good. You do. You get to you get to sort through the mental chaff a lot. And um, when you do clear out your head very well. Mm. Now, when you're racing out on the ocean, can you see the other boats there? Or, you know, you're challenging other boats or are you, you know, going against your own time? Tell me a little bit about that. How does that work? Yes, sometimes will you, the kind of racing I'm doing at the moment is is um, more kind of offshore rather than ocean racing. So we wouldn't be terribly far away from the coast. We'd be in a few hundred miles of the coast and it's very close. If it's very close, then yes, you can see the other boats and that's that's even more intense. It kind of heightens the intensity because you you can't especially sleep. You know, that's one thing that a solo offshore sailor, you have a very you cultivate a very different relationship with sleep than you had before. How does that work? Do you get five hours on the go? Or how, do, how many hours <laughs> well, of sleep go, do you, you go? You just go to bed at bedtime and get up. No, you sleep for about 15 to 20 minutes at a time. You can sleep for a bit longer if, you know, if depends on the conditions and depends how close you are to your other competitors. You know, if you're very close to your other competitors, you know, sometimes we have we have um, micro micro siestas, we call them, and you could literally sleep for two or three minutes. And it's just enough to make your eyes stay open. <laughs> and you lit- we have a really large, a really loud sleep alarm on the boat. So you set your sleep alarm. I've done that before. I've set it for four minutes and I go to sleep for three minutes and wake up again. And that's enough to kind of get you going, you know, do the next maneuver, make the next decision. And then you have another little four minute sleep and you continue like that. So and how do you make time for like the daily functions of life, like (laughs) cooking, going to the loo, all that sort of thing? How does that work? You have to cram it in and you have to plan it like like you're planning everything else. You know, you pl- you have your strategy for the race course in terms of your race strategy and then your weather strategy. But you like looking after yourself. And that's definitely one of the pitfalls of when you first start solo sailing. You tend to be very distracted with the boat and your other competitors. But actually you learn very quickly that if you don't maintain yourself, you don't look after yourself pointless everything else goes down because you're the only person there you know it's absolutely critical to both the performance and the safety of the boat that you 
have full faculty of your functions and you're well fed, well hydrated and as rested as you can be. I want to just bring you back to when you first got that bug for sailing. What age were you? And when I started sailing, probably started sailing like before I can even remember, you know, being carried onto boat with my aunts and uncles and cousins. So it was something that the family did. Yeah, yeah. And I started actually learning in a sailing course when I was about eight. And did you grow up near the sea? I did, yeah. yeah I grew up on, on Clue Bay. I grew up about 100 metres from the sea in Westport, yeah. So, mm. and so, so you got place. the bug and other people in the family, so it was just always part of your life. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. And I used to do these great sailing courses in Mayo Sailing Club every summer. I did them for years and years. You know, you'd go down for three or four weeks in the summer and you'd learn to sail and we had great fun. It's brilliant. And Clue Bay is just an amazing place to learn. So many islands and it's so beautiful. It was really... You know, we just had the run of the place to ourselves. It was good enough for Queen Maeve, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Grown your whale, rather. Grown your whale, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. When you went to university then, you did your degree and then you worked for a while. So having put all that work in, having having got to the top of your class and getting a job, where, where else did you work? Did you work in Ireland or did you work abroad? I worked both, actually. I worked in, when I first graduated from university, I worked for a company called MCS Kenny in Galway. And I worked there as um, offshore oil and gas engineer. So I was a drilling riser. Um, I did. I worked in the drilling riser department, and I did analysis of drilling risers for offshore oil and gas. And it is. It's a really interesting industry. It's a fascinating industry. It works like no other industry in the world. You know, the scale of the oil and gas industry is. You know, it's just operating beyond everybody's consciousness, and it's colossal. So that was. That was a fascinating insight into the, into that industry and you know going from you know a lot of what we'd learned in college had been based on kind of domestic industries like construction and stuff like that and then to come in and start start working in industry was like that was pretty eye-opening mm-hmm. so that I really it was very interesting but I kind of always had a little bit like couldn't quite picture myself Central. sitting mm-hmm. at a desk for and did you work in the UK then as well so then yeah so after that I I took a little break did a little bit of traveling and I then my the next job I got was in the UK for a UK firm called Magma Global and I worked with them they had um they were developing experimental technology for offshore oil and gas pipelines made of carbon fiber so I worked for them as a test engineer and that probably was on paper my perfect engineering job it had a lot of the big technical side, but it was creative. I was designing these tests. It was exciting because we got to blow up at the pipe every couple of weeks. Fun. And, yeah, it was fun, yeah. You know, and we'd kind of, it was all new technology. So we'd sit down and say, you know, I'd say, how are we going to do bending test? And the, the manufacturing engineers would be like, oh, I have no idea. We've never done one. So we'd have to sit down and, okay, how are we going to bend this in the right way? And how are we going to record everything properly? So... It, it sounds was. like a really <laughs> exciting kind of ideal job, as you say. It was, yeah, yeah. But? But I just couldn't. How long did that last? I was there for about six months okay. and I just couldn't. I was like, this is this is not right. This is not me. There was a little tug. There was a little tug. the sea. Got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I just said, I have to go. Because I'd spent, um, the year previously, I'd spent some time working working on a boat and then I was like, OK, well, that was a nice little interlude, work on a boat, and I'm back to real life, back to engineering, you know, back to what earning I'm... Earning some money. Yeah, earning some money. Um, and I went back and I was like, I can't do it, you know. I'm, yeah, it's a feeling that strong, the pull that yeah, strong. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, I was just... 
and I got a, a job offer to go and work for a sailing team and I just took it you know and it was a big it was a big step down obviously in terms of you know career in inverted commas and salary and stuff like that but I it was would ne- I would in every time 10 out of 10 times I would do it again okay yeah. so you've huge challenges coming up um, I do yeah <laughs> tell me about them in the order what's the first thing that's facing you so the first thing <laughs> challenges you have I've set yourself by things. the way yeah, yes yes well I suppose um, the first thing I'd probably have to work backwards a little bit because in the context of what I'm trying to do my ultimate goal is to do this race called the Vendée Globe which is in 2020 which is a solo around the world race and basically everything I'm doing today this year next year is building up to myself being ready myself and the team being ready to do that race so the things we need to do that race the Vendée Globe race we need I need experience in the boats I need to spend the maximum amount of time racing as hard as I can against the best offshore sailors upping my skills and also we need um we need to have a full professional race team behind us so that we can support the support the project when you say a full professional race team what's in a full professional race team so in terms of for a sailing professional race team so there'd be there'd be me and then I would need a technical team to help me look after the boat so for for that it that race is raced in a 60 foot boat so I probably need at least two guys then you need some people to help you find sponsors and sponsors are absolutely mission critical to to an event like that so you have to have um a sponsor who well, supports the campaign financially, but then also the sponsor will benefit from the campaign, whether that's through marketing or or using using you to to help them spread a message or mm. tell a story. So that it takes a, you you basically all become employees of that of that sponsor, and you have to be creative about how you help them, how you help them activate their sponsorship for you. So there. You know, the team kind of builds based on based on what kind of sponsor you get and what the what um how how you, what direction they want you to take. So. But sailing at this level is much more at a global level, isn't it? It's not Ireland is really probably quite small in that in that regard, is it? Who are the big countries that get involved in this kind of sponsorship? We think of French and Swiss companies and the Rolexes of this world. Who would typically be good sponsors of? France, you're right. You got the nail on the head. France is, yeah, France. In terms of this solo, solo sailing world, it's a French world. You have to speak French. You have to. Do you speak French? French. Yeah, I do. Yeah, (laughs) to live in France, the training is all in France. Most of the sailors are French, but it doesn't mean you know Ireland is. We are really starting to punch above our weight in terms of the number of of offshore sailors we're producing recently. Know, and and particularly women, up. I presume there aren't that many women at that level. Not really, no, no, no. But so you're a trailblazer. Yeah, well, in terms of in terms of Irish women, yeah, n- very few, very few Irish solo offshore sailors, none really. Have they, you had any luck with the sponsorship so far in Ireland? I'm very lucky this year, and that my 2018 for my 2018 campaign, I'm doing a a preparatory race, which is called the Solitaire de Figaro, and that's a very important race because it's a very high level and will. Um, it will up my skill set very quickly in preparation for this Vendée Globe race. And that, for my 2018 campaign, I'm really lucky that I've got Board BIM on board okay. as my title sponsor. Just down the road from here. Just down the road, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, they're they've amazing. been very supportive, have they? They're very supportive. And they, BIM, are great because they really 
buy into what we're doing long term they see the benefit it will have for the Irish marine industry to have something like this promoted you know to have an Irish woman go So do you have to put logos race. on your boat is it boat called anything or Exactly so this year I'm the Taste the Atlantic ambassador for okay. BAM so they have this it's really nice actually seafood trail down the west coast of Ireland which they've they've set up with in conjunction with with the Wild Atlantic Way so between BIM and the Wild Atlantic Way they've made this tasty Atlantic um, trail and it passes the trail passes right through Clue Bay where I learned to sail and my dad has a mussel farm in Clue Bay so I'm very familiar with the aquaculture industry and with BIM and the work they do so for us it was a really good fit you know we could we mutually mutually promote each other for mutual benefit. So that means you probably have to do a lot of social media and posting on Instagram exactly. and the like. Is exactly. that what you do? Yes, yes, yeah, a lot. And we have um we have a really big event this weekend with them at Seafest. And this is a Seafest is in Galway this weekend at the end of June and it's a that's BIM's biggest event for the year and it's for us for the Taste of the Atlantic brand, that's a really big opportunity for us to promote the brand. And my boat is there with the Tasty Atlantic printed down the side of it. And can on people sails. go on the boat? They can, yeah. They oh, can wow. come on and have a look. Yeah, okay, yeah. and I'll be there. But that's just for this year. The Vendée Global, when is that? So the Vendée Globe is in 2020. So you have a long time to prepare for that. That's a much yeah. bigger undertaking financially, is. though, isn't it? How yes. are you going to scale that one? Yeah, they say know. it's like the Everest, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is, exactly. How do you yeah. scale Everest? How do we scale it? Well, you, I suppose a little bit at a time, one step at a time. Um, I, we have we have a structure, and I'm a member of Team Ireland, which is um, which is uh, an ocean racing team that we've I've set up with Endo Cunning, or Endo Cunning has set up and invited me to join. And with Enda and with Caroline, who's my sponsorship manager, and Neil, who's my campaign manager, between us, we're kind of masterminding how we're going to structure this. And I suppose the the way we'd structure it is we we have a boat. Team Ireland has a boat, but we need people to buy the boat, you know, otherwise we'll have to sell it. We can't afford to just, can't afford just some casually. When you say buy the boat, how do they do that? So we need a syndicate of people to buy the boat. So we need about seven people to all join ownership and take ownership of the boat. So they, they'd buy the asset and that would be a syndicate of people who buy the asset, like people buy a, a racehorse, you know, buy a leg of a racehorse each. <laughs> and then with once we have that asset in place we'd look for a kind of global brand a big commercial sponsor who would take over the branding of the boat and who would they would have access to all the kind of commercial aspects of of the campaign so there is the commercial aspect of the race itself you know you go and you do the race and the race gets a phenomenal coverage in France um, and it's got more following than the Tour de France does really? the Vendée Globe in France it's it's massive. Right? It's absolutely huge. Yeah, the millions of people visit the race village before the race. People follow it online. There's hundreds of thousands of people who follow it online. So it's a huge, it's an absolutely huge race. And the commercial sponsor that you have, you have to be very creative then about what you do. You know, once you've done it, you have this big 60-foot boat and myself that, you know, we can we can travel the world with the with the brand on it and yeah yes and you'll be quite noticeable because there aren't that many women in this particular race are there no and in fact in 2016 there were no women in the race at all and that was the first time in a while that it happened but it's pretty shocking really that in well, 2016 why aren't there more women is uh, offshore sailing is, is kind of hard as a, as a woman I suppose it's it is a male dominated sport for sure sailing is it can be hard to get experience as a woman and Getting experience, getting on a boat with sailors that are better than you is how everybody learns. 
it's actually quite hard to start off at the bottom if you're a woman because physically you're smaller. You maybe don't kind of big yourself up enough to get on the boat. You know, men are not afraid of saying. It's <laughs> the same, really isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that that is um, that's a bit of a, a vicious circle there. So but to, for me, solo sailing is one of those areas. One of the reasons I like solo sailing so much is because and having my own campaign is because I'm very much well. I feel like I am anyway, the master of my own destiny in terms of it's just down to me whether I get a sponsor. And I, if I work hard enough, I will make it happen. I'm not up to. I'm not waiting for some skipper to select me. I'm not waiting to get a phone call. I'm just. It's just up to me. If it doesn't work, it's just down to me. Like that's, and that's what is a massive attraction for me for it. Yeah. But you have a pretty good record of achievements so far, so I don't doubt that you're <laughs> going to do really, really well. What, what way do you see you finishing for yourself? Do you want to win the thing? Do you want to be the best woman? <laughs> what, what's your goal? Well, you have to really, you know, I, I mean, oh, this, your mantra when you go so off your sailing is to finish first, first you must finish. So you have to concentrate on finishing. And that's the most important thing. The very high rate of attrition in the Vendée Globe, it's a long way to go. It's a lot of stress on the boat. It's a lot of stress on the skipper. Um, your absolute focus has to be finishing the race safely. And then it's only then and probably once you're, you know, within 100 miles of the finish line and the boat's still in one piece and you're still in one piece, you're like, oh, what? look at that. I could actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, Is it broken so into stages? You know, you mentioned the Tour de France there for cycling, whereas, you know, you can win a yellow jersey or you can win a particular stage or, you know you know, going up a mountain or whatever. Are there particular challenges that you can win parts of, even if you didn't win the whole thing? <laughs> Not for the Vendée Globe, really. No, I mean, it's all or nothing. It's all it? or nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody, if you finish, if you cross the finish line, it's a big deal, you know, and people... Just to finish. Yeah, just to finish, yeah. People, people do appreciate that. You know, of course, I'm a competitive sailor. I can't, you know, I can't say I'm not going to push as hard as I possibly can, but you have to be, you know, you... You have to be conservative, especially in your first year. You know, if I go off and I go back in 2024 and 2028, then maybe let's think about winning it. But in your first year, you have to be conservative. You have to get have to get around, you know, and that for me, that would be serving my sponsor and the team the best is if we finish, you know, and I think. Okay. Who are your idols? Are they, who has done this mm-hmm. before that you look up to? Um, there's quite a few different people. I suppose probably one of the first inspirational people for me was Ellen MacArthur who's an English sailor who who did the Vendée Globe and she came second she was only 24 I think so it's pretty amazing she kind of went she just had meteoric meteoric rise to stardom straight away but she's has an amazing story she's just just very determined and it's funny actually I I read her books like over and over again when I was a kid and now when I'm kind of kind of treading down the same path that she went down and I start to start to like kind of identify with something she would say in her books. You know, I remember her saying like how tired she was and she was so busy and she'd be going from, you know, uh, straight off the boat into a meeting. And I remember thinking, that's crazy. Like that's you meant to be in, like saving yourself for, you know, you should have some energy for going sailing. But now I'm here and that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> you just have to give it absolutely everything. You have to give it 200% every single day. Otherwise you won't make and it. And you're just know. off a boat as well, aren't you? What was yeah. your most recent sail that you My did? most recent sail was I sailed solo from Portugal to Ireland. So I just arrived um, two days ago. How long did that take? So it took me five and a half days. 
Yeah. So I was solo five and a half days and I went quite far offshore. So I was quite, I th- at one stage I was 300 miles out into the Atlantic off the west coast of France. Um, so, yeah, that was, it was Do you brilliant. ever get scared when you're out there and conditions are you tough? Can, you can get scared, but I always say people ask me that quite a lot, actually. And I always kind of say the same, give the same answer. But you can't, when you're solo, having extremes of emotion you see that as a waste of energy because it does take a lot of energy to be extremely happy, extremely sad, extremely angry, extremely scared. And you you want to try and keep yourself with this kind of median emotion, this kind of like morale stab is how the French guy sailed with, described it. And you... I so you we can use the phrase even keel. I mean, absolutely. keel must be something to do with Absolutely, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what you do. So you, if you feel yourself, you know, and I try and... Okay, I'm getting pent up about something or I'm getting a bit scared. You know, you just have to take a deep breath and be like, okay, you know, let's go back. Let's stay in the present moment. Stay in the present moment. Do we have a problem? Yes. Can I fix it? No. Can I fix it? Yes. How do I fix it? You know, and you have to just have, you have to just have a super logical approach to everything. And yeah, you can, you can, sometimes you can use fear. You could use, you can use that energy. You know, you might have a bit of pent up energy from excitement or from fear or something. You can use that OK, I'm going to do this. I'm going to use this for good. I'm going to stick this energy into fixing the problem or planning the problem. And it's for me, it's about planning and being, like I said, just being logical. You know, you can't you don't have time to be hysterical about, well, what, oh my God, what happens if the mass falls down? You just have to be like, OK, well, if the mass falls down, I need to make sure that I know where my bolt cutters are. And I need to know I need to remember to press the Mayday button and I need to put my survival suit on. You know, you just have to have a list and you're like, Okay, the mass has fallen down. I'll just I'll just start reading down the list. <laughs> you know, like what is a gold cutters? <laughs> bolt cutters. Bolt sorry. cutters. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. They're the things to you would chop the the rigging away with so that the mast couldn't damage the boat. Yeah. Okay, amazing. <laughs> so, because this is about women in leadership, are there times when, um, you know, that uh, that it's difficult? And do men think about things differently to women? Do you I'm think? I'm sure they do, but I don't know. Do you think I think we exaggerate that or basically we're all the same. <laughs> I don't know if the variation between how a man thinks and how a woman thinks is more than how, for example, one man would think versus another man. You know, we're all just different human beings and we all think differently. I don't personally, I wouldn't. I don't see it like that. You know, I think as sailors, you know, often you come in off the water, we've all had the same problem and there'll be 12 people in a room and you'll have 12 different solutions and it's not you know, you won't have you won't have eight women and four men and you've eight of the women have done the one thing and the four men have done another thing. Okay, you know, that's great. not I don't I don't think that's how it works. Probably the way it is in most aspects of life, yeah. Yeah. Um now you've spent all this money on your education and <laughs> engineering. Is that all gone to waste? <laughs> or or do you think you'll ever go back to engineering or just use it yeah. in a different way? Yeah, my mum and dad are listening. Absolutely not. <laughs> such a good, such good value. <laughs> um, Your mum and dad love you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> they, it's, I don't think it is. I think that engin- the engineering has really stood to me. I think having, it's part of a unique skill set that I have that gives me the confidence to do what I'm doing. You know, I'm I'm not afraid to, you know, most people are, you know, you, it just depends. I find about problem solving is about your confidence. You know, you go in and you're like, I'm an engineer. I can solve this problem. 
you know, you think like that. And it do, wouldn't matter. I might not actually use anything I learned to my engineering degree whatsoever. It just gives me the confidence to go in and be like, oh, yeah, I can, I can, I'll figure this out. It'll be fine. Fantastic. OK, before we finish, I'm going to ask you a couple of things. Three tips for women in leadership, either in sports or in the workplace. What were the three pieces of advice? You, your life hacks, what, what would they be? <laughs> I think probably first one, hard work works. So if you want to do something, just put your head down and don't don't give up. Don't let up. Just if you work hard enough, you'll do it. Um, uh, don't be afraid to think outside the box in terms of what you want to do with your life. I think that's that's really shown me like if you if you sit down and really focus on what you want to do, have it and you have a, a very clear goal and you couple that with working hard, you'll achieve it. You know, and it's it's kind of scary, actually, how much you can achieve if you if you put those two together. And the third one, I've no idea. Drink enough water. <laughs> Probably very advisable <laughs> when you're out in the sea. <laughs> um, so a third tip for women in leadership. This is a hard question. I think that water one is actually very good. Keeps okay. the mind yes. hydrated. <laughs> yes, okay. Looking after yeah. your body, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. It? yeah. And don't. I like. To, I suppose probably one important one is don't underestimate yourself. You know, that's something I've learned, uh, both physically and mentally. You know, like you think, you, I, you know, I've had to push myself very hard this year. You know, f- physically, but then if you push yourself hard physically, then I think it. It translates into mental, pushing yourself hard mentally, you know, and you can say, oh, oh gosh, I've been up all night. How am I going to put this proposal together? And you're like, it just has to be done. That's the way. That's it. Full stop. OK, I just have to do it. And then at the end, you're like, God, how did I do that? <laughs> and do you ever have a piece of music that kind of sustains you when you're in, in tough times? Is there a kind of a go to song that you have in your head and you press play and you're like, yeah, it just kind of gets me up and running. What is it? I actually have a couple. I was just thinking about that. Um, the other day when I was on the boat I had one song I have a London Grammar song kind of on repeat at the moment that's called Strong and it's, it's kind of a haunting song but it's a nice strong um, Do you know a line from it? <laughs> I don't I don't know a line um, but there's another there's a Sia song which is kind of like a pop song but I like that one too and that's called um, actually I don't know what the title is but the chorus is like I've got stamina and that's good because sometimes you're on the boat and you're like oh man I'm like really tired and you put that on and she's like I've got stamina and you're like okay I've got stamina I've got stamina <laughs> it doesn't feel like it but I do <laughs> and I suppose the t- sort of ocean racing you're doing it's not kind of like the short runs it is kind of like yes, marathon as opposed absolutely. to sprint is it? Absolutely absolutely yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. so it's days at a time you know you have to so you can't you have to be very careful about managing your own energy resources. You can't burn out. If you burning out is an absolute disaster, you know. Like in terms of, and it's it's very interesting. In I find it interesting in solo offshore sailing. You know, in all sailing, you have strategic choices to make, and you have to make the boat go fast. But actually, in solo sailing, your own self management becomes a very important part of the performance of the boat. So, if you forget to have dinner, or you haven't drunk enough water, and you crash that's as bad as making the wrong choice for a sail or making the wrong choice for the wind. You know, that's so it's amazing that the human element just comes so to the fore in it. OK, we're just about to wrap up. But before we do, make your last pitch. If you're looking, if there's a sponsor out there listening who could really benefit from sponsoring Joan Molloy, why should they do it? 
And how much do you want? We have got to ask <laughs> as well. What what do we need well, and why should they pick you? The Vendée Globe is a very big budget project. It's a three it'd be a three year campaign and we'd need about three and a half million euros to run run the technical side of the project. And I'd be the first Irish woman to compete in the race. I'd be the second Irish person ever to compete in the race. It's uh, really the pinnacle of offshore sailing and it's the pinnacle of endurance sports. Less less people have done the Vendée Globe than have been to space. So it's really a one, it's out there in terms of human endeavour and pushing yourself. Um, so in terms of, I think in terms of a sporting, sporting event, it's it's one of a kind to support. And then in terms of me, I suppose there's not very many Irish people doing it no Irish women and we're really trying to do something to them something special for Irish sailing and and I suppose for Irish women as well to promote to rem- just show that we can do it just as, just as well as anyone else yeah. and it would be a good investment for a sponsor wouldn't it it would yes because yes. you're really good on the social media and stuff aren't <laughs> and you we're excellent at the social media <laughs> we Joan, are all over it yeah. <laughs> Joan it's been a pleasure meeting you and Great. I wish you the very best of luck with the project so that's all from the Women in Leadership podcast for this week I'd like to thank my guest Joan Malloy and wish her the best of, of uh, luck with the future um, if you'd like to get in touch with us give us back your reaction our email is info at women in leadership.ie we'd love to hear from you until the next time from me Angie Massetti and all the team here goodbye and take care